Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. That is uh, far too kind. I'm just going to sit here... um because I'm worried that if I stand, I'll sort of nervously pace and then pace myself sort of right off the stage. So I just kind of want to sit, kind of, kind of just hang out with you guys. Um, it's been a long time since I've preached a sermon. Um, I, I stopped being a pastor probably four or five years ago um, and, uh, and have been working at Parachute Music. Um, and so, yes, to pull something together last minute has been interesting. Uh, I'd like to start with a bit of a confession. Um, I spent a disproportionate amount of the limited sermon prep time I had working on a graph, uh, looking, uh, sort of looking at the correlation between availability to speak and the quality of the sermon. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I'd also left my charger for my laptop at uh, work, and so my laptop died uh, mid-working on said graph. Um, so not only did I lose my awesome graph, but all my slides for this. And so I was working on my iPad to try and get everything together in Keynote. And so anyway, here we are. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it has been a, a really interesting journey for me over the last few years. And uh, I, I think for me, one of the things is that, you know, I always loved working for the church. I, I loved being a pastor. I loved being involved every Sunday. I loved teaching. I, w- I was really invested in, in sort of becoming a better preacher. But I found myself during, during the sort of 10 years that I was doing it, um, I found myself really lamenting that I, that I didn't get to um, sort of participate in the, the sort of scattered element of church. So I always felt very connected to the gathered element. I loved Sundays. I loved being a part of things that we were doing in the building. But then I felt like our people would kind of go into their week, and, and I just felt like there was something that I was missing out on. Now, I don't think that means that there was something I was missing out on. I just think for me it was like working, working in sort of pastoral ministry, um, I was like really close to my sense of vocation, but there was still some sort of element of being a, a, a bit of a square peg in a round hole. And so I found myself sort of, sort of looking, what does it look like for me to be involved in something? And, and you know, through, through like a series of really interesting things, someone who had, had been in my youth group at some point, like way in the past, was working as a manager for a bunch of bands, and they were like, hey, Parachute Music are looking for someone to, to take some, some stuff in a, in a new direction, and, and I've put your name forward. And so that sort of, that sort of um, prompted a series of conversations. Um, and so things have just kind of rolled out from there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of that work in a moment. But um, I just want to start by reading a scripture and just opening in prayer a little bit. Um, just so we can sort of bring ourselves into a sort of shared, shared focus for the morning. Colossians 1, 15 to 20 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus, we want to take this moment to turn our full attention towards you. We want to take this moment to tune into your nearness to us. We want to take this moment to uh, surrender to your love to surrender ourselves to uh, your embrace. Lord, sometimes we are are guilty of placing you far away, of thinking about you as as separate uh, from us, somewhere somewhere out there, somewhere up there, um, somewhere distinctly different, but, but we actually know that you are close, that you are near, that you are overall, that you are within. And so we take this moment to tune ourselves into that reality, to acknowledge it, to let ourselves be held by it, to be surrounded by your presence, by your love. So Lord, as we go through um, this morning, I pray that um, we would find ourselves anchored in the centrality of who you are, that you are at the center of all things, and that that means that you're at the center of us. Amen. <clears throat> so yeah, so Parachute uh, has been an interesting journey. Um, uh, these days, often when I'm talking to people and I, and, and I, uh, I tell them I work for Parachute Music, I, I get a couple of re- responses. Um, if, it's, if it's people who haven't really been around church, they're just sort of like, oh, are you those kind of like weird, weird Christian people who do like music stuff? And I'm like, well... Uh, yeah, I guess, no, I don't know, you know, like we have that response a lot. But then when I talk to people who have, uh, have sort of been around church and have sort of been around it, I often get met, met by like one or two things. The first thing I get met, met with is like, oh, parachute still exists? It's still a thing? Um, <clears throat> weird. <laughs> but you guys don't do your festival anymore. And then the second thing I get met with is like a whole bunch of raging disappointment that we don't run a festival anymore. And then there's a small group who somehow think like we're connected to Festival One, but like, we're, we're not. Um, <clears throat> so just so you know, you can't, you can't call us, and it happens every year, you can't call us and ask for tickets to Festival One. Okay? Don't call us, please. <clears throat> anyway, so Parachute Music went through this really interesting thing. If you know anything about the history of it as an organization, it's been led by Mark and Christy Young for the last 30 years, and they're really like an incredible couple to work with. Um, and one of the things that was, that was really interesting about 10 years ago, Mark as a leader felt that, that the festival itself and what the organization was doing as a mission was, was not really doing what it was set out to do. When he was, uh, when he said as, as when he was a teenager, um, what he wanted to do was to create spaces and environments for all of the incredible young people he saw learning how to play music in the church to give them a place and a platform to come and share and to explore their creativity and to do um, sort of music and shows in a way that was, was safe and creative and, and, and really just encouraged them in the things that they were doing. And so Parachute in its most basic form was, was set up to help musicians. Um, and over the years, that, that little thing that got set up as a place for people to come and play turned into this huge Christian festival, I think the second largest Christian music festival in the world uh, after Cornerstone in the States. Um, and so it just became this big juggernaut and the thing is, is when you put on a festival every year that requires, you know, that's for 25,000 people, there's a lot of energy uh, that needs to go into making that thing happen year in, year out. And so 
what, what they found was that more and more it was just becoming about sustaining this, this sort of festival for people from churches to go to, and there was sort of less and less of the ability to be able to come in and alongside and help musicians. And the reality is, is like the music industry at large has a serious problem. I think I've probably got a slide if you want to check that up. But the music industry has a problem. You know, um, this is not just in, in New Zealand, but, but it's globally as well. But, but in New Zealand particularly, um, uh, musicians tend to like over-index in areas of mental health. So you're four times, if you're, if you're trying to make it as a musician or you're trying to make it in the music industry, you're four times more likely to experience uh, anxiety or depression. You're three times more likely to experience suicidal ideation. You're four times more likely um, to develop some sort of like substance dependency, whether that is alcohol or drugs. Um, you know, and that's just on the mental health side of things. We've got huge economic problems. In New Zealand, if you're trying to make a career in music, um, uh, the, the sort of average income is about $25,000 a year. So you've got a whole bunch of people who are trying to subsidize their work by doing other work. So, so many people are working a job as like a sort of barista during the day um, or working in a retail store, and then they're trying to make their music stuff happen at night or they're trying to develop connections. Um, there's a lot of people who end up working in isolation, 16, 17, 18 hours a day, trying to get their music off the ground. But as a result, they are completely robbed of community and connection. And so, they be, and so these things contribute to all kinds of like negative experiences. It's been a very unhealthy industry. Um, I don't know how much of, of you guys sort of follow the news or the sort of things that have been happening with like the Me Too movement and stuff like that. But, you know, specifically in New Zealand in the last two years, there's been really horrible stories about people in, in sort of really prominent positions of power who have been grooming, you know, um, young women since, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old and, and often, often ending in horrific stories of abuse and harassment. Like, the music industry has a problem. Not a unique problem, by the way. This, these sorts of things exist across all industry. Um, <clears throat> but when you are in one sort of thing, when you're working in one area, one of the best things you can do is find ways of tending to your own garden, right? Of getting your own house in order. And so Parachute is an organization that is sort of uniquely and maybe even a little bit nichely. Is nichely a word? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> it can be. Let's just pretend it is. Um, <clears throat> It's very niche in that it focuses on the industry, but what we are trying to do as an organization is to help musicians and people pursuing a career in the music industry live a good life, a healthy life, a sustainable life by coming alongside them, finding ways of serving them and supporting them, um, giving them access to the tools and the resources that they need, um, and, and, and really giving them a sense of community and belonging so that they can create from a place of health. You know, one of the most tragic things is that we believe, sort of in Western society, that the best artists tend to be broken people, right? And we sort of think that, that, um, that brokenness cultivates good creativity. Now, uh, I think there's probably like a kernel of truth to that, but the mistake is that we often, we often expect people to fall off a cliff and into the abyss in order to create that good art. And the reality is what we want to do, if people have had those experiences, we want to help them sort of abseil into that so they can create it, something in there, that they can um, sort of um, tap into something of like the human experience, but then be able to come back out. We don't want people to exist in those places of brokenness, of hurt, of trauma. 
um, we want them to be able to, create, be able to create from a place of health. And so that's what we're looking to do as an organization. It's a very niche thing. It's a very strange thing. Um, but it's something that we've been very intentional about. So no, we don't run a Christian music festival anymore. But what we are doing is we're being very intentional about, about working with and moving towards the music industry. It's been a really significant thing for us. And one of the things that I feel um, very privileged to have been a part of is that when I was invited into the organization, I was also invited in as a, sort, as a, as a theologian to help, um, help shape um, our theological understanding about what it is we were, what it is we've been trying to do, um, and so for us, uh, the, there's been a whole lot of crucial work that we've done to be able to articulate this story. There are a lot of organisations coming to us now to try and understand what is it that you guys are doing, how are you framing this thing? Because really, like in, in terms of Christian organisations. Um, it's becoming really difficult to articulate to funders and stuff why what, why what they are doing is really important um, and how it's making a difference. And so part of what we've been doing has actually been, has actually been also working alongside other organizations to say this is what we're doing and this is how we're telling that story. Um, my role's been really interesting. I kind of came in as a, as a chaplain. Um, or some version of that. It was this very sort of loose job description, but it was like, what would it look like to have a person who could sort of offer pastoral care to people in the music industry, regardless of their faith background? Um, and so I kind of went into that, and so all that happened was I was starting to have coffee, uh, coffees with people, have these sorts of conversations about life, about how things were affecting their career, and then, and then I began to see particular areas of need, and so I was able to put my hand up and begin to start shaping things. And so over the last five years, um, I, I don't just do pastoral care. I also offer professional supervision. Um, I work with a bunch of uh, different organizations and businesses in the music industry um, to implement policies that are oriented around sort of safe codes of conduct. Um, you know, uh, what else have I been a part of? I've, I've worked with organizations that are doing a whole bunch of like mental health awareness stuff. Um, but basically, anything that can drive people towards a, a, a healthier experience of the industry, I, I've been able to get in and sort of, sort of, sort of, you know, get my hands dirty um, and make it happen. And so we are looking to try and have this like incredibly, or well, hopefully, positive influence on the music industry in New Zealand. And then maybe by proxy, we can share what we're doing with other organizations and other sectors, and maybe even in other parts of the world. And so it's, it's, it's very exciting work to be a part of. But critical to the work that we're doing has been breaking down what I've called the paradigm of the sacred and the secular. It's been really important that we've been able to, to break down those two things. And I think this has meant a couple of things for us. Um, the first thing for us as an organization is that it's been about focusing on the centrality of Christ, which is why, like, even for me, like, coming back to that Colossians 1, 15 to 20, everything for me comes back to, like, the centrality of Christ. He, he, he is at the center of it all. And so for us, like, as an organization, we wanted, to, we wanted to make that as a statement. Christ is at the center. But we also lean very heavily on Paul Hybert's sort of missiology or, like, theology of mission, in that we are not about in and out. 
we sort of, anything that sort of was about, you know, this is what it means to be in the club, and then everyone else is kind of out of the club. We did away with that in entirety. So we're not interested in, in what professions people have made about what they believe. We're not interested in that at all. We deal with all kinds of people from all walks of life, and our agenda with them is always the same, right? To, to love them, to serve them, um, to provide a space of community for them. The only sort of... Um, uh, I guess like like Christian element that informs what we do is is uh, service and community. Those are our paradigms of operation. Um, and so we think about Jesus as being at the center, but with no boundary around it. And so our only job is to come alongside people and, and journey with them. Um, and so, so that is what we're looking to do. So, so for us, uh, focusing on the centrality of Christ has been important. Um, we've also been, been really emphatic in, in emphasizing that uh, uh, creativity, all creativity is, is divine. Um, you know, I, I actually think the last time I spoke at Coast, which was probably a few years ago, I spoke about Genesis, um, the opening two chapters, and spoke about how those chapters are not really about how the world is made, but about why the world is made. It's, it's, it's a, a story about identity, about who we are in God, and that we are made in the image of a creator God, and that part of that part of the commission on humanity is to be sub-creators within creation, and so creativity plays a huge role in what we do. All through human history, art has been a way of speaking to people, of revealing to people. You know, artists have been the cultural prophets, and so um, we see creativity as playing like a fundamental and transformational role in people's lives. Um, and so particularly with people who are coming through um, and, and, you know, um, bringing their creativity to the table through music, we want to we come alongside them so that they're doing that thing in the healthiest way possible. Um, and so for us, it's been about making sure that we are emphasizing that all creativity is divine. And then the last thing is that we want to honor every person as being an image bearer. Right, so our default position is to see that every single person who comes through our doors, comes into our midst, uh, into our midst, is made in the image of a Creator God, and so we 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 orient ourselves in that way, and so we treat every single person with dignity and respect, and those are our default positions, um, and how we function as an organization. And so all of this has meant that we have been trying to break down that sort of sacred secular divide. Um, if you haven't heard that phrase before, uh, I think it's worth just unpacking uh, a little bit. Um, the sacred-secular divide is something that is inherently platonic, right? It's, it sort of comes from this ancient Greek idea, and, and typically when we think about sort of uh, platonic ideas, we think about, you know, that which is real, so the real world is down here, and then there's a sort of another plane of existence, the spiritual world. But the interesting thing is, like, none of that is anchored in the sort of roots of the Hebrew tradition, Right? None of that is anchored in the roots of, in, in terms of Christianity. You know, it's just not really there. It's not really something. In fact, in Hebrew, there is no word. In the Old Testament, there is no word for the concept of something being spiritual. Right? It doesn't exist. Um, <clears throat> everything was spiritual in the Hebrew worldview. Right? Even coming back to that Genesis story, what does God do? He shapes humanity out of dust and he breathes life. This sort of beautifully poetic, creative illustration of, of who we are as created beings. Right? 
and, and what it is is that, is that we are simultaneously created, um, you know, we are, we are off the earth and we are off the divine, like both and, you know? You guys tracking with me? <laughs> so everything is spiritual. And yet, and I think probably most of us w- would tend to agree with this, I think this is something we, we cognitively grasp. We understand that, you know, the sacred and the secular are, you know, it's not really, it's not really divided like that. And yet it permeates our culture, right? It permeates Christian culture. It permeates the way we think about things. So I know we all kind of get it, but it's an important thing to revisit because we need to create space for it to sort of make that 30-centimeter journey from our, from our head to our hearts, you know, so that we could be, I guess, like more awakened to the things that God is doing um, in our lives, more aware of him in our everyday. Uh, I think this is an incredibly important, important thing for us. So the sacred-secular divide is this, is this thing that um, on one side we have the things that are sort of very holy and good, um, and typically in that camp we chuck all of our church life, so you know that hour and a half we spend on Sundays, um, our sort of prayer life during the week, our little daily devotionals, word for today. Um, I don't know, how many other things can we rack up? Um, uh, youth group participation, home groups, um, I don't know, uh, uh, praying after the service, like doesn't all of these things that we sort of think of as just sort of very, I don't know, church practices, um, we ascribe all of that as being the spiritual way of life, um, the sacred way of life, and then there's sort of like other, you know? But the reality is, is like for all of us, the other is like 98.6% of our lives, you know? It's the standing in line at the supermarket, it's the sitting in traffic. My goodness, sitting in traffic. Oh, nothing feels sacred about that, really. But, <laughs> but you know, but it's, it's, it's all of these other things. It's every aspect of our lives, the way we engage with our families, the way we cook dinner, the way we are with our coworkers. All of those things are simultaneously sacred, and yet we tend to not think about them as that. We tend to sort of think about all of the church stuff that we kind of do on this side, and then everything else. And actually, like, that is a pretty unhelpful and at times potentially dangerous paradigm because we don't open ourselves to growth. We don't open ourselves to wonder to the things that God is doing in our everyday. John Mark Comer says this, The cosmic, gargantuan, 24-7 kingdom of God has been shrunk down to a few hundred people singing songs in a nice building for an hour every weekend. That's what we've done. <laughs> we tend to sort of shrink it down to that. And here's the thing. Here's why I think that that is incredibly tragic, is that we tend to, uh, we tend to first of all, we tend to minimize any work that isn't traditionally labeled as being ministry. And I'm totally guilty of this in my life. When I was 18, I felt like God called me to ministry. You know, I felt like I had this moment of being called to ministry. But in my mind, I was like, well, that means I must be a pastor. That, that, that is what I'm supposed to do. And so I had this weird sort of like for 10 years doing that. And it's like, like I was saying, don't get me wrong, I loved it. But I look at other people, close friends of mine who are pastors, and they just like, they're like in the pocket, you know? Like they are just, they are just, this is what they were born to do. And it was like, oh, it's like I'm close, but I'm just not quite there. You know, the, the, ministry, the word ministry just, mean, just means service. God called me to service. 
God calls all of you to service, all of us to service. But it's like maybe we tend to think of it, we tend to sort of like elevate these certain things in our lives. That's ministry. And then everything else is just like, well, we're just, maybe we're the plebs or the lay people or whatever that just have to kind of do other jobs. But that's not it. All of us are called to ministry, to just live in service, in service of the king. That's it. Um, and so we tend to, unfortunately, what we do is we, is we tend to minimize all the work we do. We minimize the work of bakers and bankers, um, used car salesmen, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> you know. We minimize all of, these, all of these jobs, and we tend to elevate the position of, of, of being in church. And we often think like when, when we sort of feel a call to do something, maybe to, maybe to make music um, or to be an artist or to do something, we tend, our first default thing is to always think about what does that look like through the paradigm of church? And it's an ultimately unhelpful thing. And what ends up happening is that um, people end up with a sort of elevated sense of self who, who tend to occupy those positions, so it's not a particularly help, healthy thing for them. And it's not particularly healthy for everyone else in the church because they just think, oh, I'm just blank. I'm just blank. And no one is just blank. Everyone can bring wonder and beauty and goodness in their context. Everyone can embody the kingdom in the work that they do. So here's this, that's the first thing. This is why I think the sacred and the secular paradigm is unhelpful. It's because it minimizes any work that is not ministry. And then the other thing is this, and this is, this is why I think it's particularly dangerous, is that it tends to conflate the idea of sacred and secular with holy and unholy. Okay? In Ezekiel 44:23, it says this. This is talking about the temple priests and, and, and their sort of function and their role and what they're supposed to do. They are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. Here's what I mean by we conflate the secular and the sacred with that. What we tend to do is we tend to put everything that happens in the sort of church um, word for today, our sort of daily practices, our Bible time, our prayer time, we, we, we put all of that into the holy category and then we put everything else into the unholy category, right? And here's the reality. Regardless of whether we're looking at sacred spaces like churches or whether we're looking at secular spaces like office buildings, holiness and unholiness transpires in both of those settings, Right? transpires in both of those settings. And listen, I, I can like understand, like I, I know at times that it has felt like the church is sort of under persecution, but sometimes we have to own our stuff. Who here is married? Put your hands up. Okay, keep your hand up if you've managed to go through your whole marriage without ever having to own some of your own mess. Ah, no one's brave, eh? <laughs> the only way you can have good relationship is being able to be authentically honest about what some of your flaws are. One of the things that happens with, with musicians, if, if I can just sort of just, we can just park that for a second, but so many incredible musicians who are doing full-time work in New Zealand learnt their craft in the church. They grew up in the church. 
There's something about playing in a worship team that teaches you to be to play dynamically, sensitively, responsively, creatively. And yet most of those people who are working in, the, in music now, they're, they're not in church. They want nothing to do with it because their creativity was stifled. Or they were told that the only way they could be a creative was to make worship music. Nothing about, nothing about what they could bring to the world was, was honored or, or edified or encouraged. And so they just left. They moved towards the spaces where it was. And I think it's like an incredible tragedy. <clears throat> so the reality is, it's like regardless of whether it's, you know, uh, worship music or normal music, like there is the potential for, um, for holiness to transpire, for beauty to transpire, for the kingdom to be shown. And, you know, like, and, and I think the church has done a, a really bad job sometimes of, of quenching things because of its fear of losing control. You know, fear of, uh, of I don't know, um, fear of what might happen in the secular world. Um, some of the things, uh, and so sorry, coming back to, to some, of the, some of the musicians I've been working with, some of them have these like really horrific stories of working for churches and, and experiencing trauma. And we've seen some stuff in the media recently um, about churches and, and about people coming forward um, with their stories of church. And I understand the inclination to want to be defensive of the church because the church is, is something that we love. But we have to be willing to to acknowledge when the church has done damage, when the church has caused trauma. Human collateral is no excuse for the pursuit of a gospel vision. Right? No excuse. If you are perpetuating harm, you are not embodying the gospel. If you are oppressing people, you are not embodying the gospel. And this is something like, uh, like I, I just feel particularly passionate about. Because every day I'm dealing with people who have been traumatized by their experience of church. And so part of what we have to do is be willing to acknowledge that sometimes unholy things transpire in holy places. And it is only in acknowledging that and owning it that we can change the environment. It's an important thing to be aware of. And that's why I think breaking those two things and conflating the idea of the sacred and the secular with holiness and unholiness is, is really dangerous. We have to be aware of it. So this is why I think it's important, um, it's important that we try and break down this divided way of thinking. Right? The first thing is, is that when we, when we sort of relinquish this idea of the sacred and the secular, we open ourselves to the kingdom in everyday, ordinary situations, right? Um, <clears throat> there's a, a, an old Dutch dude from the early 1900s, Abraham Kuyper, who said this, there is no inch of creation where Christ does not rule and consequently no dimension of our lives in which he is not present, right? Christ is in everything. I love, the, I love that little scripture where, where you know, Jesus says where two or three are gathered, that's where like, the kingdom is. Often we kind of change that to like where two or more. And we say, and that's why it's good to be at church. 
One of the things I have worked so hard on over the last few years is to recognize every time I sit down and have a conversation with someone, sitting down in a cafe, having a, a coffee, talking about anything. We could be talking about a Marvel movie, uh, a soccer game that's happened. We could be talking about their next musical release. We could be talking about anything. It doesn't matter. I always have this little thing in the back of my mind. Acknowledge this, know this, recognize this as a kingdom moment, right? Learn to recognize that the kingdom is happening all the time. Understand that we get to be vehicles of that and to partner with it to it and open ourselves to the possibility of it. You know, I like, I like never really like pray with people in my job, ever. But I can't tell you the things that, that sort of fill my heart the most is people say to me, man, when, I, when I'm with you, I feel really peaceful, you know? Or you just bring like a lot of calm. Or I'm just really grateful for you. I haven't had someone to talk to like this. Those are kingdom moments. We want to be able to recognize that and move that and to facilitate that in our lives. So we want to be able to break down that divide because it opens us up to recognizing the kingdom in the everyday and in the ordinary, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. And then the other thing is this. It helps us see that what we are doing is vocational, right? Vocational, or, or the concept of vocation, is this idea that there is calling attached to what we do. And when we think about vocation, once again, we tend to think about the office of pastor, right, or office of church person or something, we don't think about it as the office of accountant or school teacher or nurse. Like, we, we just don't think about it that way. But vocation, right, the sort of uh, the origin of the word in Latin um, basically brings us uh, to the idea of voice. It is your unique voice to speak into the world around you. Right? You have something special and valuable to put into the world, wherever you are. And so if you can break down that divide, you can see yourself and the things you are doing through that lens. You can own it. You can feel connected to it. Suddenly it's not minimized anymore. It's maximized. But you've got you've to relinquish that sense of, of, of sacred and secular. It doesn't matter. Everything is spiritual. The kingdom is here breaking through. What I am doing is vocational. Do you love it? Are you passionate about it? Do you love seeing people connect through it? It's vocational. You can, there's so much peace in being able to see that as like good God work, if you can come to that. Um, <clears throat> Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whatever you do, uh, or whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Charles Spurgeon um, sort of unpacks this. You know, to those who live unto God, nothing is secular. Everything is sacred. They put on their workday garment and it is a vestment to them. They sit down to a meal and it is a sacrament. They go forth to their labor and therein, and therein they exercise the office of the priesthood. Their breath is incense and their life a sacrifice. They sleep on the bosom of God and live more and uh, they live and move in the divine presence. To draw a hard and fast line and say, this is sacred and this is secular, is to my mind diametrically opposed to the teachings of Christ and the spirit of the gospel. Isn't that pretty powerful? 
Yeah. I love the line, the breath is incense and their life is sacrifice. Breath is incense. Oh, I, I love that. So this is the call on us. To be able to kind of relinquish these things. I think it's a call on us as followers of Christ. I think it's a call on organizations. I think it's a real challenge. I think if we're going to navigate the sort of uncertain times we live in, we have to be able to um, hold our sort of, I don't know, our, our sort of protectiveness of church stuff a little looser. We have to be able to, to open ourselves to possibility. We have to be willing to move in, in sort of rhythms of grace and love in a way that we might not have done before. We have to be willing to not say, this is good and, or this is holy um, and this thing is bad and unholy. We've got, to, we've got to let down that. We have to open ourselves to seeing God in the everyday, to seeing Christ at the center of everything open ourselves to it. I love Eugene Peterson's The Message. This is, how he, um, this is how he writes Romans 12, verse 1. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, your ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. not rocket science, but it is hard to move from here to here. And so what I want us to do, I, um, I want us to worship as we, as we sort of close out. Um, so could I get the band back up? And I'd love to invite you all to stand. And um, they sang the song, You and You Alone. And uh, as you sing this song, I'm going to ask you to multitask. Some of you, that's going to be a little bit hard, right? It's a little bit difficult, but I'm sure, we can, I'm sure we can do it if we really try. As you sing this song, I want you to consider your week, the week that lies ahead. What's on the to-do list? What things need to get done in your job? What assignments have you got due in? Whatever it is, just think about that to-do list and, and lift it all up. Think about the conversations and the people you're going to see this week. And it's not about getting them in or out, but it's about loving them and serving them and ensuring that they have community and that they can encounter Christ's peace. So have a look mentally through your diary and take this moment as you sing, as you worship, to lift it all up to God as worship, to lift it all up to His glory. Thank you, team. Well, thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whānau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day. Be blessed.